Hello and welcome to the Miramichi Historical Linkages podcast for this week. Uh, Sean McCarthy, Tasha Smith, your hosts, joined today by our special guest, Brandon Savage. Uh, Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So uh, what we've done over the last number of weeks, Brandon, is we we spoke to folks like yourself uh, and, you know, historians, also people in the community that kind of made a lot of connections uh, through ooh, the work that they've done and the travels that they've made, so on and so forth. And today we'd like to kind of uh, speak to you ooh, about some of some of that work in your case, most most particularly, and maybe to start off with, um, your work with the North Shore Regiment. So maybe just for the benefit of um, our listeners who are, are unfamiliar or maybe just kind of know the North Shore Regiment in kind of a broad sense, maybe you could, 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 could you give us a little bit of background um, on the regiment and uh, where your interest uh, set in? Yeah, so the uh, the regiment itself, the North Shore Regiment, uh, is uh, sort of represents the region um, from uh, Campbellton to uh, the Miramichi in terms of the regimental scope of things. I mean, I know geographically speaking, the North Shore can encompass quite quite a bit more, and, and all points in between. That I say that um, the the regiment itself uh, is a uh, hundred years old, actually over a hundred years old. They just had their anniversary uh, this past year and, um, and had quite a bit of distinction through the first world war, though um, they were classified as the um, uh, a battalion at that point. Um, but they're really, their, their um, notoriety comes from the second world war and uh, the actions that they took place, uh, principally D-Day and then subsequent battles that happened after. And uh, the, the regiment itself made up, a very interesting demographic uh, representation of the uh, region itself with Anglophone, Francophone, First Nation. Um, and it's kind of one of the first instances, I think, in a, on a sort of from our local history on an international level of all these different uh, perspectives and cultures and religions sort of coming together and working for a common cause where regionally here they've been divided uh, historically and even had been sources of conflict. And I like to think that um, it, it's because of their um, cooperation under the worst circumstances that uh, I think some lessons came back and we start Hopefully, you know, it took a while still, and we're still there going through those processes, but we're breaking down some of those barriers. And I think um, a lot of the stereotypes that were learned historically uh, were, were sort of dispelled um, overseas. Um, my interest in all this came from uh, my grandfather being a member of the North Shore Regiment. And uh, at a very young age, I, I recall, I, I can close my eyes and visualize in his living room, um, a, a picture, which a lot of the veterans had a picture of their, uh, time overseas, like an enlistment one, uh, giving recognition to their service. And, um, I believe I was probably seven or eight years old and, and knowing that there was something special about that. I don't know. I was fixated on it and, uh, being kind of an annoying little kid, I poked and poked and poked and asked questions. And I got very, very, very one line shallow answers. So my grandfather wasn't one to talk about it. Um, my father and his siblings, the extended family had really very little knowledge of anything. They knew he was overseas, but never any extent to the story. And I knew there was something there. And, um, uh, I would say during my undergrad studies at UMB that um, I think he maybe came to the realization that I wasn't just after some adventure stories and that I, I was very much legitimately in, interested. And then um, 
he started to open up. And I think that's where that portal for me goes into the work that I've done uh, regarding the regiment thus far. Well, great. I think that's something that, uh, I think that's something that, that's, that's a bit of a common experience for some folks. I think, you know, uh, I know myself, like my grandfather, my great uncle, you know what I mean? We're both, we're both overseas. Um, my great uncle with the, uh, with the Carlton York and my two of my great uncles, but uh, one of my great uncles with uh, with the North Shore Regiment who passed away before I was born. My grandfather was in the was in was a military policeman uh, in Newfoundland. But yeah, like I say, you often you're often kind of asking those questions. But as you say, uh, you know, it's it's not something that's uh, that's easy to talk about. And I know my dad often talked about you know when he was a kid, kind of sitting under the table. Um, when his uncles were talking, so that they didn't know he was there, but he could, but he could kind of listen and and, and hear those stories. So, uh, and good for you for kind of uh, continuing to pursue that course, and like I say, and then also doing it um, in your in your professional studies as well. Yeah, and you know, and uh, to add to your point there, like I, I often hear, and it's and it's kind of sad, and I'm hoping that, you know some of your listeners may fall in this category. But there are a number of people who were the the, the children of these guys who went overseas. You know, these are uh, retirees uh, pretty much at this point, and I get a lot of them come to me and very much with guilt that I didn't know what dad did overseas, and, and almost like I wasn't interested or. But odds are they wouldn't have talked about it, um, and they weren't they weren't interested. I, it, everything I I find I, I find with with families of men that served overseas, it skipped a generation. It went to the grandkids for some reason. They, it was almost as if there was a point. I felt like around the 50th anniversary of the end of the war, going into the 60th anniversary of the war, where um, veterans saw kind of the sunset of their lives coming, and they I think they felt that they were going to go to the grave with a lot of this stuff and it was going to be forgotten. And so that they, they kind of got out of this um, very modest, very secretive, um, just get on with your lives attitude. They had post-war with their own kids and they, and they came to the realization, we got to, I got to say something about this. And, and I feel bad for the kids of those guys because they, they do feel a sense of like, I should have asked, but I don't think it was available for them. Yeah. No, I tend to agree for sure. I mean, I know my grandfather never talked about it until it was, as you say, kind of toward the the very end of his life uh, that he talked about his time in service and, you know, uh, yeah, and kind of told any any stories in any kind of detail for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that, that pursuit uh, and, you know, not only for your grandfather, but for others in the regiment itself has kind of led you to a lot of very interesting encounters and travels. Um, so you visited, you visited, uh, France on a number of occasions and kind of gone, you know, kind of followed the trail of, of the regiment. What has that been like? Um, surreal, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, I never, like as a kid asking my grandfather, these, these, these questions and getting his stories, um, I, I imagined what these places would be. I, I never fathomed that in my professional career, I would have opportunities um, as such. It, it just seems that I find some cases, it's almost like divine providence here that, that these, these opportunities have happened and, and, you know, very fortunate circumstances have occurred. Um, and, and a lot of it is very coincidental. Uh, like, for example, um, when, uh, about a year before my grandfather passed, 
Um, I took it upon myself just uh, after finishing my undergrad studies at UMB to do a very formal um, kind of investigate historical investigative work on historian and uh, doing background research and and having all my facts in, in a line and then getting his perspective and recording and, and doing a very formal interview process about this. And one of the things that I ended up doing was I, I finally got to the point where on D-Day, uh, talking about the incident that occurred where he was severely wounded and talking about the, the exact place, which was a place called Thaiville in France. And so at the time, um, this is 2006. So even the internet back then was kind of in its infancy. So there was not a whole lot to work with. And um, I remember Googling this Thaiville place and I had this small little website that uh, was just like finding the city of Miramichi website. That was, so what am I going to do? Anyway, so I said, what the hell, go for it. I'm going to um, send in an email out to them in French, explaining who I was, what I was trying to find, what I was looking for, and um, never got a response. So I was like, all right, well, that's just a dead end. But a month later, I get this package in the mail from France, and I open it up, and inside is uh, all these aerial photographs of the village with this, like, wax paper film, and it had labels on it. And um, the author of this package had said, okay, this is where your grandfather was, and this is where he was wounded, and this is where this happened, and here's where the Germans were, and it's all, like, lined up. And uh, so anyway, uh, fast forward a year. I had an opportunity to be a chaperone on a trip uh, with students with uh, Brett Cameron and Chris Matheson. And we were happened to be going to Normandy and um, we were hitting the, the major spots. They weren't North Shore uh, specific. I, we were in a place called Cossier Samer where the Juno Beach Center is. But like to give kind of a perspective to your listeners, like Juno Beach, sometimes people think it's like you show up at Cavendish and it's all in one spot. You can see really Juno Beach is almost like the entire um, say coastline of, of the Miramichi river. Like for example, I would, I kind of equated like the North shore landed in Logieville, but the Juno beach centers in Nelson. So there's quite a, quite a distance in between kind of thing. Right. So I was in the Nelson equivalent of things on that particular visit. And I remember looking down the shore, knowing the North shore were down here somewhere. And I, and I could see it off in the distance, but knowing that it was not obtainable on this trip. But on our way back, I looked at a map. We were heading back to our accommodations in, in our uh, meal reservation. And um, I noticed Tyville is like right on the way. Like it's literally just a stop. And um, my colleague, Brad Cameron, his great uncle happened to uh, have been killed next to my grandfather at the same incident. So he had an invested interest to be at this place too. So we, uh, we pulled over. And we were able to actually convince the bus driver to pull over. I got a nice bottle of French wine for him to do this. And um, and uh, we couldn't have the kids go off. We had about 50 kids. And we're like, we don't have time. We only have time for like a five-minute stop just to see this place and go. So that's fine. So we get off the bus and um, we get. We, I'm able to find the place because from memory from the, from the photographs and stuff, and it's this uh, very um, distinct S-turn. And I'm standing there and I'm taking it all in. You know, this is kind of like, to me, I thought this is everything that I've done to this point um, related to my grandfather and all my studies in the North Shore. And I, I felt a little cheated, like, you know, five minutes, all I'm going to get, but, I, you know, better than nothing. And uh, uh, I'm standing in a, in a place where basically would have been from the German perspective of what happened. And to my left, I realized I'm basically standing in front of a gate into a farmhouse. And uh, these people emerge from the house and they start walking towards us. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I can't speak French, but Brett can. And I said, Brett, maybe like we're on someone else's property here. Like we need to like 
shuffle out of here. And uh, as it got closer, I recognized one of the guys because in that package that was sent to me, it was actually the mayor of Tyville, and here was the mayor approaching me because he had he'd say he given his picture in this package. I said, Brett, this is the guy who sent the package. This is the guy. So anyway, they got closer, and um, and and we and Brett was able to explain who we were, and they were like, "You're the guy. You're the guy we sent the package to." So that that that, that became the, the the beginning of a lot of the con- connections that I had um, in Normandy, and I I know it's a long story to get into that, but that's that that and that visit in 2008 was was the beginning of a network of things related to the North shore that has gone now for over a decade, so to speak. No, that's very, you know, that's great. And I mean, I think it's led to, you know, uh, from that relationship, of course, you know, now uh, even our, even our two communities are, are much more, you know, united now in recognition of that than what they were, you know, so to think how, you know, an email or a letter, you know what I mean, between two people can eventually build into, you know, uh, to something, like I say, uh, two communities really kind of coming together and uniting over history. I mean, that's very, that's very, you know, inspirational in a way, especially for a project like ours, is where we're just, you know, trying to kind of find those, those connections and seeing what they can build. Right. And, and they've been always, they've always been there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that they haven't been tapped into. And I don't think there was maybe the interest in previous generations for it. Or, um, I think in some cases, even with my grandfather, they're just, um, I, I think there was a, um, um, a, a trauma that didn't want to be revisited. You know, like, I, like I, I tried during universities to get my grandfather to go and, and see these things. And he's like, no, no. He said, you know, I, there was a job we did in 44 and the job is done. Why do I need to go back? And he was always kind of deflecting it sort of thing. Um, but like the, this family there, the, um, the Castinos um, were, were quite close um, because of that tra- traumatic event that took place. And actually in that same visit, um, he's since deceased, but we met um, a Joseph Castino who was 22 at the time and, and uh, actually witnessed my grandfather being shot. And his story coincided completely with my grandfather's story, um, even though the two men had never met. And so they were like, and they were, he was a little surprised to see me because he had always thought for about, well, at that point, it would have been 70 years that um, he had died. And if he had died, I wouldn't be here. So the fact that um, things played out the way they did. Um, and from there, like, we, yeah, we, we were able to get a very extensive network. And we fast forward um, 10 years and we're into 2018. So in uh, 2018, our district uh, decided to have a uh, 75th anniversary uh, D-Day commemoration um, trip for uh, students in all the high schools as a way to kind of unify this new super district that had come into in, into uh, uh, into play. And uh, so in the year before, because this was going to happen in uh, June 2019, um, a couple of colleagues, Brett, Chris, uh, Brett Cameron, Chris Mass, and I uh, decided to head over on our own as kind of like a it's a history nerd group and um, just basically scout out the areas that were um, North Shore um, specific. And so in the um, in the months leading up to this little 
um, sort of recon trip, as you call it, uh, we went through the North Shore War Diaries, which is a day-by-day account of where they were, what was happening, even the weather and that sort of thing. And we Google mapped the entire thing day-by-day day from June 6th all the way to the uh, the end of the war. And, um, and, and what we essentially did is when we flew over, uh, we started with uh, D-Day and we made our way all the way through, stopping to uh, see local people, uh, local contacts, networking, um, and also venues. And, and what is it like, again, with our, our main mission being not only honoring the North Shore, but what is um, like, what is going to be the most impactful for students? And, and if they can get um, you know, the, the, the maximum experience, um, obviously they would take that with them, uh, going forward and, and, and be, you know, impactful and responsible citizens. That's all ultimately we want in, in, in the ideals of remembrance. So, um, that being said, I mean, we reached out to, um, uh, you know, a number of different towns. We renewed contacts with um, St. Aubin, where the North Shore landed. I mean, the, uh, Bathurst is twin there with them, and they were very open and receptive. Um, you know, obviously, we saw our friends again in Tyville, had a very memorable evening there. Um, and even in, as uh, you alluded to, Sean, with you know, Carpique and, and how we've just recently twinned here in Miramichi with them um, to, to bring back that importance. You know, Carpique um, was, was one of the well, it has to be the most horrific battle that the North Shore uh, fights. And it's um, hugely, hugely traumatic for anyone who was involved in it. And, um, you know, it, it is great to see um, that kind of local remembrance kind of revival of, of, of that of that um, of that battle. And, um, you know, all those guys are gone and uh, like that can easily be forgotten. But. Um, just even as simple as twinning with a community like that. And I can tell you that the people at Carpique are, are ecstatic about that. I, I'm actually very surprised that no one else has even reached out to them because there were other regiments that were involved in that battle. Uh, the North Shore really took that on the nose, uh, historically speaking. And um, though they, they, they do very, get very little credit, actually, the, the regiment itself, that's one of my other driving forces, it, it gets very little credit. Um, you know, I, I, I remember going through the, the stacks UMB to do um, papers and I rarely did anything on the North Shore because it was too much of a risk in my undergrad um, because they were very minimal footnotes on the regiment in historical um, uh, sources. And it just didn't have enough substance to, to give you. Uh, the security that you might get a good part. It just like, it was going to, it was going to take a lot for an undergrad student to pull it off. So, um, and that left me frustrated and I'm really glad that there's been a body of work that has been developed. There's been a, a, um, a, I almost want to call it a renaissance in a way, a, 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 um, a re-understanding of what, what has occurred. And, um, and they're getting finally the, the recognition they should. I mean, you're, Many regiments uh, that landed on Juno, um, Queen's Own, Regina Rifles, uh, they, they've gotten all kinds of accolades, and um, the North Shore just kind of quietly existed. So it, it's uh, it's good to see. It's good to see. So that was all kind of part of that networking thing, and and uh, we still work with a lot of these people today. And um, I, I think it's great for our community that we we revive and we we keep those connections because i think we were at a point and i, I know it sounds weird because i'm like patting myself back but i think we were really at a point where had that work not gotten done those those bridges might have been been gone mm-hmm. i i think 
I have to say that uh, quite the steps that you and your guys' team has taken. I admire uh, your guys' passion and drive of this type of information. And I totally agree about the importance of remembering and understanding and giving recognition where it is needed slash deserved. And um, I love that you guys are helping out the next generation by providing not only the necessary resources, but the memorable experience of deepening their understanding that much more by giving them those firsthand experiences as well. I, that's just awesome. I'm so happy to see that. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it, it is like the, I think the way that with this generation, it, that's how you get through to them. Like I, and I, we can do, and we have lots like of great material that we do in our classrooms. Like I'm, I'm very pleased with the department that we have here that, you know, I, I know what kind of lessons we put out and, 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 but we're, we're competing against like TikTok and Snapchat and a lot of things like that. And, um, but you don't see kids with phones out when you, when you put them at, at, at you know, at Benny Samir, like came more cemetery and, and they're going through and they're seeing last names of guys that are, you know, on their contact list, you know, family members, you know, and, and it's like, they, that is as real as, as you can get it. And, and um, the other thing too, to add, like, I mean, we, when we go over finally with this group in 2019 and we have 150 students and staff and, 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 and we go down um, some of the things we wanted to ensure is because there wasn't a whole lot. Well, that's one of our th th findings in 2018. We went on our own. It's, there's not a lot there. There's there there's one monument that uh, Monsignor Hickey uh, and the register of veterans of the regiment with their meager amounts of money put together. And it's not glamorous. I mean, there are a lot of the Ontario regiments could afford sculptors and they went and very nice artistic ones. And they look beautiful and I'm not dismissing it. But when you go to Carpe Cane, you see the one monument they put in. It's just a just a basic granite thing. And that's what they could afford. But that it just screams North Shore. That's what the, the farmer, fisherman, lumberjacks, that's, that's all they had for money. So when we went this time, so we have to put our stamp there. We have to like expand the knowledge. And um, we were very fortunate to be able to put a couple of plaques in place um, that we not only put plaques in and that were sponsored by all the major communities in our district uh, that were unveiled by students. Uh, but these plaques were in the languages of the regiment. So uh, we had English, French, and Mi'kmaq, and we felt that was that was an, a very, very important um, because that was the makeup of the regiment, and a lot of those components got forgotten. And so we wanted to ensure that everyone was represented. And it was really cool. I mean, we had Francophone kids, we had First Nation kids, we had English kids. Everyone was uh, un unveiling this um, cooperatively, and so it, it really was like a, a group effort. And, and it's really cool to see. Like I, I think it was the other day um, I was meeting with the. Uh, an individual who was actually going over on their own and wanted uh, sort of like a, a tour guide as to where they should go. And I was taking them through the uh, Google Street View to say, okay, you want to go here? This is what it looks like. And our plaques now are showing up. They must have done an update. So our plaques are there, which is which is cool. And I'm, and I'm looking forward um, next year when we go over again with uh, an even bigger group. But now um, we've actually maxed out we're at 300 people and we can't take any more <laughs> because uh, well ha we basically have about half of the regiment that landed on d-day right now so uh, <laughs> they, uh we're we're, uh, we're we're hoping again to to be able to you know to revisit those plaques that we put in and and you know the fortunate thing is we have no desire or no any need right now uh to do any more of that because we we've gone and we've left uh the appropriate stamp that's necessary uh to remember these guys by 
and I think also, um, you know, on top of, on top of, uh, those acknowledgements, I think, you know, as you alluded to a little bit earlier, you've, you've, in, in your work, you've, um, kind of showcase the regiment in other key ways across the country. Um, I'm, I'm mindful of the, the Heritage Minute on Archie McNaughton and, of course, the, 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 the work that you did um, with, the, with the Mint and on the, on the commemorative coin and identifying the gentleman, you know, uh, who, uh, who we see in, the, in the, the footage of the landing on Juneau Beach. So those two things, I think, brought a lot of, uh, a lot of attention from across the country onto the regiment as well. Yeah, no question. And again, like I, I keep coming back to things being so coincidental. Uh, I mean, the, 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 we, we had this, you know, this trip for 2019 with all the, all these kids going over and we had some cool things with like projects and stuff that we were doing, but these things just fell on our lap. Like, I mean, the uh, Heritage Canada uh, approached me in the, the fall and said, like, you know, we're doing this uh, expose of McNaughton. And uh, my grandfather was the radio operator for McNaughton. So they had a very uh, intimate relationship in some ways. And I, and I almost see um, in, in some ways like McNaughton serving as almost a father figure to my grandfather. Because uh, to kind of give you a background there, I mean, my grandfather's... Uh, father so my great-grandfather had died in the winter of 1940 of a heart attack and uh, my grandfather who was 15 at the time in 1940 realized that if he's able to kind of swindle his way into the army underage um, he would get the same wage as his father and himself combined got in the woods and he would also be seen as a dependent of his mother so he would get the salary of a of a married a man and, and to help support his brothers and sisters back home and so 1940 he enlists and Archie to sign the paper he was 15. How does a 15-year-old – and I, you see the pictures of him, he's baby-faced. Uh, how, how does that happen? I think in a lot of ways, between the lines, McNaughton knew exactly what he was trying to do. And I think McNaughton felt that he could kind of take him under his wing and look after him and get him through the war. And so, you know, the the, the unfortunate circumstance that happens in Tyville um, – and, and actually, the more research I've done there, um, I think McNaughton saves my grandfather's life, even though my grandfather is shot by that machine gun that ambushed them, um, McNaughton was standing directly in front of him. And um, they said after he was killed, they counted 17 bullet wounds. So his body shielded my grandfather. There's no question about it in my mind. Um, the fact that the the minute came, the Heritage Minute people came and asked for my input on that was really, really special. But it did bring to light um, that the, the regiment, which I feel like has been really, it's been an injustice, like kind of an injustice, I think, in historical annals of military history. Um, I think there's other kind of regional politics, but I think also the same thing. Um, if you were a historian back in the 60s and 70s and you showed up to these guys' farms and lumber camps and said, hey, tell me about the war, they would have told you to screw off. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to like, I don't want to talk about this. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? And um, like, why wouldn't we want to talk about this? And a lot of them remarkably, I felt, um, came back. And I know a lot of them had demons. Um, a lot of them were looked down upon for being alcoholics, but I mean, the stuff I read about they went through, like I let them have their drink. I mean, it's no wonder they did. I mean, there's no such thing as treatment for PTSD. And we're not even doing a good job of that for our servicemen that come home from Afghanistan and places. So I can't even imagine what some of those guys went through. So just kind of bring, bring all those kind of stories back to light. And then like you said, with the, uh, with the landing, it, the most famous uh, D-Day footage, it's in every single documentary. And, and for years and years, like, I mean, uh, dumb um, producers in the states like said that it was American troops. Like anyone with half a brain would know. Look, look at the kit. 
They don't look like American troops. Like compared to Saving Private Ryan, like they don't even look the same. I I can forgive the British for thinking it was theirs because again, very similar kit, very similar uniform. Um, but really cool uh, when we finally were able to say, okay, these are North Shore guys because we were able to take the the houses in the in the uh, in the background and say, well, one of the houses is still standing and it matches completely. So we were able then to say, okay, within a fifty foot section of each, and this is the beauty of what I've been able to do with kids, I can take them right down to where a company of Chatham landed and, and say, if you have relatives who were on D-Day with a company, you are standing exactly where they landed. This is the patch of beach. Like you look around within 50 feet of here, this is where they are rushing ashore. This is the wall that they climbed over. These are the houses that the Germans were firing at them that they had to go and clear out and so on and so forth. And so we have that ability. And then to, uh, you know, really the, the cherry on it all is to be able to identify that guy. And it was a really, um, interesting team of individuals like-minded like myself who uh were very much interested in, in solving that mystery for the mint and we uh, honestly even like dr milner mark milner he he, he kind of thought there's no way like we're, like we, we might get an educated guess here but there's just probably not really much of a chance that we're going to and um i said give me like and we were basically ready to give our final report i said just give me the like 24 hours more just 24 hours more i i think i could get this and um Anyway, long story short, I, I was able to track down a living relative of this guy and and uh, she sent along a picture and it was like, and we did a comparison um, actually with a, for, a forensics connection we had with the RCP in Ottawa to kind of say, okay, is, is this face, and it, it was hard because the face um, is only a side profile, as you know, when it looks back and um, the, the picture itself is front, but they did say that like they, they said we can't 100% say it's him, but we definitely can't say it's not because hmm. there were too there, there were too many um, comparisons. So we were pretty we were pretty um, for sure that it was. And, and plus, why would the family lie about that? Actually, the family had never seen the footage. This was the first time they'd ever seen it, which I find very very remarkable. So it was really cool to be able to open their eyes to here's their father landing on D Day, and he's the he is the face of D Day. So amazing, absolutely. So, um, as this episode uh, draws to a close, um, first of all, Brandon, I want to congratulate you on all the great work that you're doing, and uh, we certainly hope to hear more uh, from you and your colleagues uh, as this journey continues to grow and to mature, and we wish you all the best of luck with your uh with your 300 uh, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need it. I'm going to need the best of luck at this. <laughs> uh, but no, no it, it's exciting. It's really exciting. And, and, and it's really fun to be a part of uh, continuing local history. And I have to, um, you know, give lots of credit to you guys uh, doing things like this because um, it's, it's definitely needed and well overdue. And uh, I think it's really important that we keep emphasizing these things. Here, here. So, um, anything more before we uh, stitch this up for uh, for this week? No, I can't. I, I mean, again, um, it's been a pleasure to to be able to share these, and, and I know I could, I could go on and on, and we could probably turn this into like uh, the length of Ben Hur or something. But you know, there's uh, there, there's there's a lot. Like you know, it's just it's it's great to get a chance to be able to um, be able to share. Um, this knowledge and um, you know if there's any listeners out there that have anything to share related to the work that I'm doing uh, 
more than happy to to listen and take any any knowledge and and uh, add it to the database that's already been collected. So great all together. Well, Brandon, we we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, and it's always great to to talk to other folks um, who are doing the work, the kind of work that we're doing, and building connections for the community, but also oh, um, honoring the the past in the way that you are. Um, so we're, we certainly hope, as I say, to, to hear from you again. You never know. We might have you back on to tell more because, again, as you say, you know, uh, we could, uh, we've only gone 30 minutes. So, you know, that leaves us with like, what, another three hours and so for, you know, to, to, to reach that bin her length. Um, that's it. So, yeah, you know, uh, so until then, we wish you all the best of luck and we thank all of you who are listening and viewing this. This, uh, certainly we encourage you to tell your friends and, and all those who are interested in local history about, uh, this podcast and the work that Brandon is doing. So, uh, for now, we're going to, uh, be on our way and we wish you all the best and we will see you in two weeks time.